Hey, have you heard the word on the pre-show circuit that we have a brand new Lions of Liberty mini documentary out right now that you can watch by going to lionsofliberty.com forward slash live free. Yes, it is the live free documentary made by our buddy Dan Smots over at Goulash Films and of the Systems Down Pod chronicling the story of the Lions of Liberty over the past six years, also including a lot of footage shot at this year's Pork Fest, which you will not want to miss, frankly. Uh, but just goes into our motivations, what we're trying to achieve, how we got where we are, and what we want to do moving forward. So check that out, guys. Lionsofliberty.com forward slash live free. And if you want to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. And if you join right now at $10 or more, you get a free taxation is death mug. You heard right. Taxation is not just theft. Because really, what are you doing with all that money? What are you doing with that theft money? You're bombing people. You're taking away people's rights. You're stomping on liberties. Get your mug today. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Oh, shit. Wait a minute. What episode? What ep- who, who's the guest? <laughs> oh, my God. Where are we? On this show? <laughs> well, uh, 142. That's it. 142. All right. All right. No, now don't, we're don't. We keep that first part. What are you talking about? That's, yes! that's gold. Yeah, that's gold? amazing. <laughs> Why not? I mean, All right, done. just confusion right. to begin with. Now, if you want to start over, you can. It's, well, the it's voice show. I don't want nope, to come nope, in and host your now. show. You host your show. I, you're the professional <laughs> here, man. You've got more uh, professional hosting paid gig experience. The, the voice you're hearing Hi, is Ryan Stout. Uh, I believe this is, yes, your third your third time on the right. show. So, nice. you know. Nice. Amazing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. There's, Three times there's, there's nothing consistent about this. Um, no, <laughs> it's just it's just you throw shit against the wall and whatever bounces back at you. Because I actually have a trampoline wall. My wife was against it. Best investment sure. I ever made. Not only for throwing shit, but uh, I'll tell you what, you want to abuse your wife without leaving any marks. That's I'm going to be honest you with you. Throwing shit against a trampoline wall doesn't feel like a good idea. It feels like a good way to get shit Everybody all over said yourself. That- that's what I said when the salesman called me, but uh, you know what? I found right a fetish. I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag I found a fetish. I guarantee it exists. I'm going to make <laughs> it into a website. Uh, so yes, Ryan. Awesome. Uh, great you. having you back on the show, of course. And uh, I want to uh, tell everybody off the, at the top of the show. So Ryan, you know, he is one Thank of my you. favorite comics. Uh, I have loved to have him on before. A big fan of all of your comedy stylings. And of course you have a new album out. Which is man in a suit? Man in Did the I say suit. That wrong? Man in the suit. Sorry, man yeah. in the suit. And uh, there we go. And uh, he's got a fantastic picture of you hanging microphone out of the front of your trousers, <laughs> which I love. Um, so it's actually a. Uh, there's a very famous photograph by Ma- Robert Maplethorpe that hangs in the Guggenheim called "Man in Polyester Suit." And uh, in that oh. photo, it is not a microphone hanging out. It is a large black hmm. penis. And so um, <laughs> when I released the album art for, for this album, I got messages from a lot of people going, I can't believe you're the first comic to ever parody that photo. But uh, I, was, I was shocked that I couldn't find anybody else parodying the photo either. So I was happy to do it. I just feel stupid that I had no idea it's, what the reference was okay. to begin it's with. Okay, because he's been dead for a lot of years, and uh, um, and you know, in your education growing up, they're not showing you a lot of erotic gay male photography. <laughs> it's it's odd, you know. Of all the black dicks I saw growing up, none of them were hanging in them. the Guggenheim. None of them, and that's the that's the hard part. But right. I think uh, that's it's kind of interesting too why I picked that because Robert Maplethorpe, I don't know if you know about his history, but he got into a kind of uh, there was an uproar about his photography because he's taking these photos and they're amazingly crafted photos in a time when photography was not considered an art form and. Um, mm there's a lot of gay sex in some of his uh, pictures. And um, the lighting is amazing. The composition is amazing. (laughs) But people had a very puritanical hatred toward the subject matter. And what really Mm -hmm. kicked it off was he had gotten money from the National Endowment for the Arts. 
I knew that was going to be what, so, what had done it. Just like right. piss Christ. So that, of course, set off a firestorm. And, uh, you know, even though he wasn't showing the photographs to children, even though they were on private property, they were behind, you know, they were on a, in a safe space, if you want to call it that. Um, <laughs> people didn't like the government giving money. And I always thought that was such an interesting, just interesting tidbit because conservative people are totally fine with very liberal, loud pieces of art, as long as those are on private property. Totally fits with the concept of right, private yeah. property. And yeah. uh, uh, But once they, f- they see their tax dollars getting pushed towards something that they don't support, they go, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, but when it comes mm-hmm. to stand-up comedy, we are doing something very loud and often provocative in comedy clubs, which is a private space, and conservatives tend to be fine with that. They go, yeah, you, you have to have an ID to get in. You have to be 21 in order to go into that bar and listen to the people talk. And yet it is the liberal people who fought for us to have a safe space mm-hmm. who are very upset with how we're using our safe space. And, and <laughs> they often make the comparison with yelling jokes at someone on the street versus doing it in a comedy club. And they say it's exactly the same. And you go, no, it's not fucking exactly the same. There's a huge difference between blindsiding some with jokes on the street and somebody who walked into a building that said comedy and looked at a ticket that said comedy and sat down and listened to fucking comedy. And precisely right. And and you know it's like it almost I mean in a way it, it I if did you watch the Chappelle special that came you know out what? The most I, I watched the first portion of it but uh we were also yeah. the audience doesn't know this cuz you and I talked about it already we were planning a wedding we were putting a wedding together last minute and <laughs> taking off to Hawaii to to elope in private without anybody knowing <laughs> So I, I have to catch up on Chappelle's <laughs> special. I have to watch Bill Burr's Paper Tiger. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Burr yet yeah. either, unfortunately. I, I was I was going to try to watch, but I said it had a chance. But uh, but Chappelle did say, you know, kind of to your point, you know, this is voluntary interaction. You're going to the club. You're paying the price. You can see most of the time, if you make any sort of effort, who's yeah. going to be on the show. And, you know, Chappelle's special, he got all this, this pushback because he was doing some accents we'll get into, talking about trans people. But... He said this, you know, to, to the audience during the show. He goes, "Look, you know, you can get upset about this, but people are going to see this on Netflix. If you're getting upset about this special, well, you clicked on right. my face. You know, I didn't force you to do this. It's not. I'm not to your. I'm not accosting right. you in a restaurant and, and right. trying this out. You are opting to watch me, and thus, you know, you can't. You have to. You have to take some of the blame for this uh, to be exposed to it. And and also, if you're opting in." You know that's that's part and parcel of the the contract right. we're agreeing to. I may say something that is that sure. it might offend you, but at the same time, you're opting to see what I'm well, going to and say. I think the audience has a big misconception about what they're opting into. On one hand, you hear a lot of people say, "Well, I paid to laugh," and I always tell them, "No, you you did not. <laughs> you walked up to the box office and you said hello. I would like a ticket." And the box office ticky typed on a little computer and looked at you and said, "Sorry, sold out." Does that mean they're sold out of laughter? No, it doesn't mean that. It means they don't have any seats. You paid for a seat so you could have the privilege of watching the show on private property and, you know, nobody else gets to see that show. Um, That's what you're paying for. You're just paying to see it. Um, And the second big misconception people have is uh, people to this day still think that comedians are making it up on the spot. They still believe that these are not tried and tested jokes like the the yeah. the controversy and I don't want to say controversy but this this common discussion is comedy art or entertainment I always shake my head and smile and I go comedians are more scientists than either of those things because what we're shooting yeah. for is repeatable results not only do I want a joke I want a joke that works again and again and again and again and again in a lot of different situations and then once I've found a joke that works like that I put it on the special. <laughs> so if you're complaining about the yeah. special, you're complaining literally about all the audiences that have already approved of that joke. That that is a fascinating analogy, uh, and I agree completely. Especially like you said, you're testing out audiences, you're honing it, you're you're basically finding out what works and what doesn't work. The entire process, and this is why I get so bugged when I see people like you know Louis C.K. He's testing out material, uh, trying to come back, or anybody that's out there testing material out in these clubs. It's like, to use your analogy, if a scientist halfway through an experiment has 
his experiment just get blown up and canceled because it somehow somebody got a little cell phone camera in, caught him, uh, you know, whatever, trying to uh, <laughs> trying to boil milk to get yeah. the impurities out of it and prove you know, Louis Pasteur. And now Louis Pasteur is exposed on the Internet and no longer can tell jokes anymore. And the experiment right, dies. Right. Right there. Or, or they catch Louis Pasteur early on in the process, try to figure out how do I how do I right. do this thing? And then he's doing something they don't like. And they say, well, you're canceled now. You're not allowed to do that anymore. We can't, we can't support you um, emotionally. We can't give you financial support. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We can't speak well of you in public. Now, all of a sudden you're a pariah Mm -hmm. and now your work ends because just no. Yep. And you never know what could become of that work down the line. I mean, I, I can't even think about how many comedians in general must have, you know, said something, done something in the past wherein they would now be exposed as a, you know, a hater and a, and a racist and a bigot right. and all these other things. Wherein we, you know, fortunately they were before the time of the internet or before the time there was an easily, uh, easily searched right. record. And they probably went on to make all these fantastic shows. Like God knows what Seinfeld said. God knows what, you know, what, what Larry David, David yeah. could have said in the past. Any of these comedians that went on to create these amazing, you know, groundbreaking shows, even sure. the Simpsons. I mean, Christ, the Simpsons are trying to cancel culture yeah, that yeah, with the yeah. poo and all these other characters. Well, you know, now there's it's going to it's going to affect the evolution not only of comedy but just of entertainment as we know it having this ability and and with people going out of the way to cancel. I always felt like um, the the real problem with the the loud audience response that's happening is that comedians are doing our job. The comedian gets on stage and tells a joke, and um, some people in the audience say that joke is racist, and other people in the audience say no, it's not. And then those audience mm-hmm. members fight. And then the people who are the loudest are the people who are adamant about proving that the comedian is racist. Whereas the comedian should be mm-hmm. able to sit back and say, hey, as long as there are people defending me, you can't just subjectively project this racism thing onto me. Um, you, and yeah. the, the same goes for uh, misogyny. The same goes for punching down. You can't just subjectively (laughs) project that onto a comedian and say that it's true when there's a whole group of other people who are saying it's not true. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and when, when the comedian has the audience divided like that, then I always say the comedian gets to step off stage and go to the green room and have a nice snack. And uh, and then you guys get to fight it out. The consumers get to fight it out. Now, the other side of that, it is so strange to me that audience members are obsessed with two things that comedians that happen with comedians. Audience members are obsessed with the idea of comedians getting heckled and they're obsessed with the ideas of, Mm. of bombing. Now here's the thing. If I have a joke about race and it bombs and a group of people say that's racist and there's no one there to defend me. Well, now I have a problem. (laughs) Of course, now (laughs) there's a problem, but is that it's only a problem if there's nobody defending me. And instead they want to create a world where the defenders don't exist and then push cancel culture on us. And it's like, no, you can't cancel somebody that has defenders. Right. Well, well, you're seeing that play out almost in real time uh, with Dave Chappelle. And I, I, I haven't watched Bill Burr's special nor read reviews on it yet, but Chappelle, you know, almost immediately the special comes out, the media gets there a sneak preview of it. And on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, they use just the worst reviews they can find. <laughs> now, I had seen far more reviews, but they custom picked. There were like six six yeah. reviews up there, all giving it, just panning it as punching down of, uh, of, of have Dave Chappelle finally jumped ship. You know, Dave Chappelle's time has passed. He's a, uh, a relic of a bygone era. This man who had created comedy that was yeah. groundbreaking, that took on race in a hilarious fashion, flipped things on its head. And, uh, and as I said, oftentimes would create conversation around it or come at you from a way, and you and I have discussed this, wherein you're surprised, you know, you don't see the punchline right. coming uh, instead of this kind of, you know, way comedy exists in the current era of, you know, daily show style. Ah, I see the punchline, mm-hmm. the first word. But you see that uh, Rotten Tomatoes picks these six interviews, or six reviews, 0% right. rating for a whole, a whole week, 0%. Then they finally allow the uh, customer ratings or the, uh, you know, the common man to weigh in shoots up 99%. So the audience reaction, 99% positive. Every, you know, everybody on there just defending the living shit out of Chappelle versus the woke culture reviews. And to a larger extent, you know, the tech 
I guess the tech company uh, trying to push the quote woke. Uh, yeah, trying to social en- socially engineer that, trying to socially engineer right. a response to comedy, and that's that's what as scientists mm-hmm. we hate <laughs> because we're like, no, 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 yeah. no, I did the testing. And I know what the reaction is. You can't just <laughs> right. pretend that the reaction isn't the reaction because you feel like it shouldn't be. Um, and which is no. ultimately the the hard thing that's happening on the left that is turning people off, which is when they don't get the results mm. they want, they try to socially engineer it so that it works in their favor anyway. And um, the thing that hardcore left leftist people hate about stand-up comics is that uh, they tell us all the time that we, the comedians, don't get to decide what's funny. The audience decides. And then as soon as the audience decides it's funny and the leftist doesn't like it, the leftist goes, well, the audience doesn't matter. And let me tell you why you're wrong. And I'm like, well, who the fuck are you to decide? If I don't have the power to decide, And what gives you the power? And they go, well, you, you have to accept criticism. And I'm like, I did from a whole audience of people. <laughs> For we let the whole audience year. vote. Yeah. I thought you wanted the audience to, I thought you wanted democracy. <laughs> what happened? Well, it, man, you're hitting the nail on the head as far as what I thought, you know, when we looked at the last election cycle, right? Trump surprised the living shit out of everybody uh, when he won. Well, the, ma- the majority of people. I, I actually secretly thought he might win for the exact reasons that I'm about to talk about is the left as a whole, and this is really upsetting to me, is it seems like they're not using their own scientific philosophy or our scientific philosophy to gauge what works and what doesn't or put the bead on where the audience is reacting yeah. to, you know, what, what their actual concept and thought is. They got this big rebuttal to this really leftist philosophy they're pushing out there. You saw the rise of Donald Trump, which would have never happened at any other time. And yet, instead of listening and saying, okay, you know what? We're not on track here. We've lost the majority of America. This is not what they want. They double down on it. And then they tell us, like you're saying, then they tell us that we're racist and we're wrong and we're idiots and we can't can't go down this road again. And they throw something even more crazy and tell us that we have to Um, go that way. And it's that kind of thinking that that kind of just doubling down on craziness, like it puts people like me and probably you in a bad position where like there's, I can't think of anyone who would be in the Oval Office that would be worse than Donald Trump. I cannot think of a single person. And yet I am (laughs) terrified that the Democrats are going to put somebody up who I'm going to be able to say, I think they're worse. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, other than maybe Andrew Yang, and uh, did you watch any of the deb- the last debates? They're all they've all been a, a slog and yeah. a nightmare. But did you catch um, any I of them? Any of them? And but I will say this: of everything I've seen of Andrew Yang, he seems to take this attitude of like, well, this is all ridiculous, <laughs> and I love yeah. that because <laughs> that is what is happening. This is all become very absurd, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is just it is classic kind of. I mean, it's almost like we're watching a, a, a film where they're casting the most ridiculous out of the world characters. It's like a mad, 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 mad world. You never see that old classic film where you've got a bunch of nutballs desperately racing yeah. for the treasure. That's what the Democrats oh have God. rolled out here. You know, you've, got the, you've got just these manic, insane people. And then, yeah, Andrew Yang's the one guy that, while I don't agree with everything he's saying, at least he seems like, you know, despite these people being his elders, at least he seems like an adult in right. the room. At least he's saying, you know, practically speaking, we can't. We can't have these massive debts and we can't force people to do this. We can't, we have, we can't have militarism right. all over the world. When, when I mean, he compared it's, it's amazing. Uh, Bernie's idea for, for government jobs. And he's like, well, let's just hand out gray overalls too. It just seems so dystopian. Like <laughs> right. he was so, yeah. He's like, we don't want to work. He was so kind of like shrug his shoulders about it. Like, well, this is crazy. <laughs> and I just, I enjoyed that so much. Um, but yeah, there is, there is a, um, and and I don't think it's necessarily a sign of the political times that this is happening in stand-up comedy. Yeah. I think this is what happens literally every time stand-up comedy gets popular, <laughs> which which is okay. people come out of the woodwork to say, "Hey, if you're going to get on stage and do that mean thing, it must it that it's because you're a mean person." 
if you're going to say something mm. that's about race, then you're a racist. And uh, that's that's been happening since 1945. And what's weird, what's no, weird is true. when comedy is not popular, those voices kind of subside. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's also that, you know, you see this in just film and television as well, though, is that, you know, people don't people have a very hard time understanding, to your point earlier, uh, that comedians are taking on personas. And you see this even in general actors and the roles they take on. You will see certain portions of America actually fault actors for taking roles in which they play a racist or a sexist right. and whatever else, or that they or that, that those roles are written. You know, like I was talking with uh, the Simpsons reference. They say that it's racist to have a character like a poo and not understand that you need to have certain characters that are invented to showcase a certain point of view that you might be against, but without the ability to showcase that person and make fun of them or make fun of the situation and showcase the differences, the comedy in it, turn, you know, as I said, turn a situation on its head to provide you a different point of view that might diffuse a certain right. racist stereotype. You're not going to get anything done. You can't well, accomplish it's, it. It's the classic problem of, uh, if you include a character, you're doing it wrong. And that if you don't include the character, mm. well, now you're excluding a whole race of people. And, and you right, just kind of yeah. go, well, listen, it's going to be a subjective thing about whether or not we're doing it right <laughs> or wrong. And you're going to nitpick it to death. And you're going to make a big, long list in the column that says wrong. And in the column that says the mm. things we did right, you're going to leave that blank. And you're just going to pretend right. that there's nothing in it. <laughs> and their idea yeah. of accountability isn't very good accounting. <laughs> it's credits and debits where they only look at the debits. <laughs> um, and yeah. and that's, no, a, that's, that's a tough binary world to live in. Um, and that kind of splitting up, I think, comes, comes with the territory of punch up, not down. You know, they're always, I can rationalize mm. any joke to be punching down. You know, there's a, a piece of uh, humor theory that says every joke has a victim. And while that theory has holes yeah. in it, but, you know, it's not a perfect theory. It is not a humor law. It's still a theory. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. If a joke has a victim, well, then I can, I can rationalize a way that the person telling the joke is hurting somebody who doesn't deserve to be hurt. Right. And as soon as we start doing that, and, and this is where I feel like, in truth, what's essentially been happening with comedy is that everybody's always constantly arguing for, you know, we have to protect the victims. Meanwhile, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, anytime I've told a joke that could, you could say, okay, this is a, this has a victim to it, or this is going after a certain race of people or a religion or a type of people, the people that enjoy that joke typically and laugh the hardest are the people that I'm making fun of. And the people that are going after me, uh, or might say that was inappropriate, are never the people from that group or that sex or anything else. They're just people that want to showcase their ability to defend someone else. Showcasing their know, ability signaling. to defend somebody else has been a thorn in my right. side since 2001 when I started in San Francisco. Because that's where I started my stand-up mm -hmm. career. So I saw this bubbling up in audiences a long time ago and then kind of crafted my act around it. And I think that's kind of why I've gotten away with so much stuff on stage is because I've been able mm -hmm. to kind of be a weasel about it and, uh, and work my <laughs> way around the, the hard edges that I know that social justice warriors will bring up. And I always have some sort mm -hmm. of, people have called it kind of a, uh, a trap door or a backdoor escape. Yeah, and yeah. I would agree with that yeah, assessment, yeah, yeah. actually. They, they, people have complimented me uh, again and again. Like, you get to push their button, and as soon as they object, you get to slide out this side door they didn't know existed. And, right, yeah. And yeah. I say, no, yeah, that took a lot of planning. <laughs> took a lot of fearful <laughs> no, planning. No, it is true. You, yeah, and, and again, I encourage, I encourage everybody listening to this to really go and, and check out all of Ryan's uh, albums. And, and again, you can go to ryanstout.com. Uh, and I'm sure you have all listed for purchase there or just and on Spotify, iTunes and Pandora. Yeah. Spotify, anywhere, yeah. anywhere and everywhere. Um, a comedy can, so can meet one, your ears. One, but one thing but I no, do oh, want to talk about regarding that kind of subjectivity of punching down is um, mm -hmm. people are very good at imagining somebody getting upset at the joke. And yet they have no practice at imagining the positivity that comes with jokes. And I think yeah. the best example is uh I got off stage. I was in Minneapolis and uh, this very nice woman came up to me and she said, 
hi, I wanted to talk to you because um, you were talking about suicide a lot on stage. And I wanted you to know that my son uh, tried to take his own life and he was permanently disabled and he lives at home with me, but he did survive. And uh, I always, I always thought that I would never, ever laugh at suicide ever again. And you were up there and you were doing all these jokes about suicide. And I just, I found myself laughing and I, I, I wanted to thank you because you were able to, to find a way to make light of the one thing that I could never, I would never laugh at. Mm-hmm. Now, that same set of jokes, I'm doing them at a different club in Phoenix and immediately somebody's tweeting at me from the audience telling me I'm an awful piece of oh, shit right. and how dare I and can't I imagine that there are people in the audience who've been victimized by suicide. Now, jump again to the Bay Area and a woman comes up to me after the show and she looks angry. And she says, I wanted you to know that we came to the club tonight because the love of my life killed himself five years ago to the date. And I thought I was going to lose it during the suicide material. But you know what? It was actually really funny. And then there's, <laughs> Why did she come right. up looking so angry? And then there's just this that. kid in St. Louis who comes over and says, I just wanted to shake your hand because my best friend killed himself two months ago. And I know if he were here, he would have really enjoyed your jokes. Now, Unfortunately, the social justice movement will gladly ignore the woman in Minneapolis and the woman in the Bay Area and the kid in St. Louis to take the side of the nutbag in Phoenix who's angry. And you go, how can you do that? How can you ignore all the positivity and all the magic that comes with humor that helps these people who have Mm -hmm. every reason not to laugh, laugh anyway, and instead take the side of the person who's hurt? because obviously they're going to be hurt. Like it is not a foregone conclusion that because someone suffered trauma that they're going to be hurt by the joke. It's actually quite the opposite, that somebody who's offered trauma, been traumatized could be healed by the joke. So let the fucking joke happen. Yeah, well, exactly right. Well, it's, I mean, throughout time, you know, see, comedy is the first thing people turn to after tragedy, for the most part, because it's like it, it can make you feel better. It unifies you with the community. Right. And like you said, it's a way to look at something differently. And that's what people don't understand about good yeah. comedy anyway, is it gives you that ability to look at something in a different light, which can unite people yeah. from different cultures. It can bring people together on a topic and it can help people cope. It's like we were talking about with cutting off the evolution of something we're talking about, you know, I was referring to cutting off the evolution of say entertainment programming, but when we cut off comedy and cut off the ability to talk about topics, we might be cutting off the evolution of somebody's emotional experience of helping them to cope. And, uh, and you know, God knows if they're just stuck in this depressive rut and they've got no outlet, they've got no way to deal with this thing other than to say, what was me and sit in a dark room, then how does that help anybody? And, uh, um, you know, you, you just kind of think I've, I've got, I've got that set. I've got a set up on YouTube and it's called entertain the thought. And it's, I get on stage and it, it is a lot of this suicide material if people want to see it. And, uh, and, yeah, and I'll, one of the I'll big, the one of the big notes, comments the at the top is a woman saying, I think it was her sister that had passed away and she, this is the first time she's laughed at suicide. And that's just from a YouTube clip that I was able to put mm-hmm. up and then walk away from that's still helping somebody. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to protest me working (laughs) in the early stages of me doing those jokes, well, then the healing just never happens. And uh, that's the part that strangely comedy critics don't care about. And it's the most hurtful part. And this will tie in a little bit too. you know, obviously everybody's talking about comedy at the, as at the top of everybody's list because of the Chappelle thing. And now with this latest Saturday night live uh, uh, cast member, uh, Shane, Gillis, I believe his name is. Yes, Shane, Shane Gillis. I've worked with Shane. Shane, Shane opened for me. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you if you knew him. So this is this is going to be very interesting to, so to hear from you on this. I was in Baltimore, um, and uh, they just introduced me to Shane. He's your opening act. And I said, great, nice to meet you. And you never know, since I'm not famous enough to bring the show with me, I'm often in these situations mm-hmm. where my opening act is terrible and ruins the room or I'm in the situation <laughs> right. where, Oh no, this guy's brilliant. And now I have to follow this yeah. guy. Shane yeah. was the second he was crushing and he wasn't doing anything racist on stage. Shane regularly refers to himself as a dumb, fat white guy regularly announces mm-hmm. that he doesn't know anything regularly announces. He doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, he's kind of a buffoon character. 
you know, when you talk to mm-hmm. him backstage, he's not saying anything racist. He's just readily open about like, hey, I'm just trying to get through the best I can. Um, but again, like my whole personal experience with him didn't didn't hear anything racist. All I saw was a guy killing for 30 minutes for five shows yeah. in a row. And I'm standing there at the side of the stage going, oh man, I, I got to get this together. I got to follow. <laughs> um, and you know what? Baltimore is not an all white city. <laughs> uh, no, I would, I would side um, with you there. He, uh, I think their demographics might tend to New York. Production. He performs for diverse audiences all the time. And, he, and, and he's, he's from, from Philly. Philly. He's from Philly, which is a very diverse uh, city. A lot of a lot of black right. and a lot of white. You learn so. what you can get away with and what so, you can't. And uh, you know what? Right, he's exactly. not even being judged on his stand-up comedy. So my my report about what his stand-up comedy like is kind of irrelevant. But it is it is proof yeah. like oh yes, if you see him do stand-up, he'll make the audience laugh. I hope you care about that. Hey guys, a real quick commercial break here. I told you last week about Bobby Wilson, our fantastic Lions of Liberty Pride supporter. He wanted to use this time again to remind you guys, if you join the Pride, it is not only everything that we offer as far as bonus content, but Bobby is hosting calls now with our other Pride members going over in-depth conversations about liberty, about libertarian values. And I was told this last one, because the Lions of Liberty are not necessarily on these calls. This is this is purely the members in our group taking it upon themselves to collaborate, to forge friendships, to deepen their knowledge of liberty. However, sometimes they just want to take pot shots at us, <laughs> which apparently the last time they did a Lions of Liberty Pride call hosted by Bobby, they just uh, ripped apart all of our Liberty draft picks. So Highly recommend you join the Pride. Get in on the fun. Thanks to our buddy Bobby. Uh, you can join at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. To your point, I mean, you know, Saturday Night Live, clearly they had probably watched uh, however many hours of comedy he had out there. He clearly killed it in the auditions for this show. And, you know, it's just, it's heartbreaking because this is clearly, you know, almost every comedian's dream. Uh, at least it used to be to be on Saturday Night Live. I don't know if that still is everybody's sure. dream, but you know it's still a very it's nice, a nice place to be. It's a nice brass so ring. Nice to... It's 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 an institution yeah. saying it's... we've we've created the best, we've created some of the best comedy in American culture, and we recognize your comedy mm-hmm. as fitting with that pedigree. What a what a right. huge exactly right. honor. So... <laughs> Huge honor for yeah. five hours, or was it five days? You know, it was a huge honor for Shane. But the, clearly, they they vetted him as best they could. And then these people find, you know, within a few hours of his being announced, a quote-unquote journalist goes through, finds some old-ass podcast appearance of 2018 where they were joking about, uh, and I, you know, I was listening to the clip. I don't know if you had a chance to, yeah. to listen to it. It was, and again, the, you know, the, the clip I found, it's still taken out of context because they're intentionally, they're cutting out these points where you don't really know what leads into these conversations. You don't know what followed right. these conversations. And as we were talking about earlier, it's, you know, a lot of these podcasts, since they they are extemporaneous, right? When you see a comedian on stage, they have practiced their bits, or at least they've thought a lot about them beforehand. But in a podcast format, you've got comedians who are just kind of, like I said, throwing shit against the yeah. trampoline. And maybe, yeah, well, this yep. time the shit came yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still, it is a conversation. It's an evolution. It's something that's freewheeling. And you're just trying to see what's going to be funny and throw things out there in an extemporaneous way. And to see them pillory this man, cost him his job and possibly his career after all the coverage this is getting is just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, it's number one, the um, complete inability to give someone the benefit of the doubt that that's poisoned our culture. We've, we've been taught not to Mm -hmm. trust. We can't trust doctors and we can't trust uh, lawyers and we can't trust our neighbors (laughs) and we can't trust politicians and we can't trust the news and we can't like, we go through all the people we can't trust. And then somebody says, believe all women. And then that of course causes an uproar because we're taught not to trust. And now you want us to believe. Um, And And then of course we're, we have to trust anybody on Twitter that finds a clip. Of course. 15 seconds. Well, you you always empirically you're required to trust victims no matter how convoluted the story. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. here's the thing: like since I when I started stand up comedy in 2001, the older generation of comics pointed to my generation, which is 
Aziz Ansari and Whitney Cummings and various people who have done a lot better than I have financially in this business. Um, and the, the older comics noted, wow, you kids are actually treating this like a business. You're actually not mm. getting shit face drunk. You're not doing a bunch of coke. You actually see that you have to present yourself, you know, in a way that's going to fit with these big corporations and whatever else, NBC, SNL, and you're, mm-hmm. you're watching out for yourselves. Certainly when the internet came around, I was terrified about what I was going to put up on the internet because I, I understood yeah. very quickly, oh, this is forever. And so you don't mm-hmm. see a lot of personal information about me online. Everything is very carefully crafted and selected. And uh, Shane, Shane Gillis came along and he is part of a culture that has said, hey, you're overweight and you're not good looking mm. and you're white and you're stupid and you're worthless and we want you to shut the fuck up. And so Shane went, yeah. well, I'm never going to be famous. So I might as well just say whatever the fuck I want well that's going to make my friends there. laugh. Yeah. And it doesn't mean yeah. that he hates people. It means that he didn't filter anything because he didn't see any benefit in it. <laughs> and the tragedy yeah. is a benefit showed up. A benefit completely unrelated said, oh, we think you're really talented, though. Come do this thing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to like this. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I honestly, I worry about even just the stuff. I, I'm just doing this podcast. I've said crazy, crazy shit, you know, to make people laugh, to just be goofy. And of course, being a libertarian coming at it from this perspective of I, I'm fighting back against these cultural you know, social justice warriors. Obviously, I've said a lot of things that, uh, that could uh, piss sure. anybody off. So anybody could go through and ruin my, my career very easily. But, you know, I also think that he, he definitely is saying these things to make, a, you know, to make people laugh. But, you know, in his defense, he said, look. I'm a comic. I'm trying to push the boundaries. I'm trying to, I'm trying to throw things out there. And people are saying, oh, this is a ridiculous way to, to uh, talk about it. And how dare he defend racism with this thing? But, you know, again, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, you know, uh, you swing and you well, miss. I that, mean, you swing and miss more was, than you hit. And he's not, he doesn't have an that, audience there. He only has one guy that he's reacting the, to. That's the sentence that people have been responding to a lot is that I try to push boundaries, period. And the literal next sentence was, and sometimes I miss. He literally said, and sometimes I miss. And people who care about intention or or people who actually want to dismiss intention, they love the fact that they can ignore Mm -hmm. the next sentence. (laughs) They love that. They love the idea that they go, oh, yeah, yeah. He he thinks that what he did was great. No, no, no. You're ignoring the next sentence. Um, Right. Well, that's, that's like, I've seen that over, over and over again on the, in the age of the internet is people yeah. constantly do that. You know, they, they will take some, even in, again, to talk about a Chappelle special, even in Dave Chappelle's special, they take out just the bit that they want to right. damn the man with and ignore right. everything else in the context of the conversation. And like you're saying, it's just, it, it's inexcusable that the media runs with it as is, but you see the media do these things as well. I'll give you an example. Um, Mario Lopez, right? A guy that I've uh, briefly met. He does a lot of work with kids. To all reports, is a, a super sweet guy, a great father. Has like four kids himself. He got in a shitload of trouble because he had the audacity to go number one on, on Candace Owens' show. So you know the SJWs hate Candace Owens because she's a black woman that's not on the left. <laughs> but and this was yeah, this was for uh, I think how dare uh, she have Fraver her own Universe. personal freedoms and choices? How? How dare she? Back on the plantation. <laughs> back. Yeah. Back, no, so, yeah, back so with, with the rest of us. Stay in line. Uh, exactly. So, but he goes Terrible. on her show and he, there's a, they get into trans conversation about trans issues, right? And how uh, specifically about giving young children mm. hormones and which uh, I don't know how much you know about that topic, but you know, if you give the tumor at a young age, it cuts off their ability to become full, fully functioning sexual yeah. adults right. in their own gender. So, in the context of this conversation, Mario Lopez goes, look, I don't want to tell anybody how to be a parent. I think if you're a loving parent, that's the most important thing in the world. He goes, but I don't, you know, I think that people should, and I'm, I'm uh, uh, paraphrasing. I think people should think twice, basically, before they start to give their kids hormones. at, oh, know, at think age twice? Six. He went that, he was that hard about it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude. I, it's like, you would have thought that, you would have thought he said, line the trannies up and, you know, get the machine guns out. <laughs> The way people took these contexts. Uh, and I'm reading, you know, like MSNBC and Huffington Post. The headlines they run with is Mario Lopez con- comes out against trans children. Christ. 
comes out. Like, in no way, in no way did he do that. But again, it's it, there's no context. At, and they run with the so narrative they want I, to run with. I've often compared um, liberal and conservative politics to liberal and conservative temperament. And I often tell people it's almost mm. like we're, we're walking through the woods together and then something happens that was unexpected. And what's unexpected is we as a group, we come to a little cliff with a big pond below. And the liberal people say, let's jump in. Life is for the living. We found this great thing. Let's go. And I am one of the conservatives who goes, hey, uh, I'm not going to jump in because I don't know how deep it is. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know what kind of uh, water snakes and alligators might be in there. I don't know what's in there. If you're going to jump in, do me a favor. Take your car keys out of your pocket because I don't want to be stranded here. If you guys jump in and have a good time in the water, maybe I'll jump in. Yeah, but I'm going to join you. First. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm not telling you you can't do what you want to do. I'm just telling you what I'm doing yeah. and I'm going to give it a second thought. <laughs> and yeah, but the problem is that all the time they go, wait, we're jumping right. in and well, we're and taking then, you with us. And then Whether the, the headline go, is apparently Ryan Stout, vicious conservative who hates fun. <laughs> and you go, God damn guys. God damn. You should have things that you should have heard the things Ryan Stout said yeah. about water snakes. He wasn't a so sure about of them. Fear. Ryan Stout <laughs> hates water snakes. <laughs> and it's just so ridiculous. Like you, you have to walk through the world thinking about some consequences. And if you do, right. you're, you're considered an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is a funny, it is funny two sides of the, of the thinking, right? Cause you know, like I said, it's all the way in no thought for the consequences, uh, except all the thought for consequences should we say something that might affect uh, people that uh, that are of a certain sex or a certain race or a certain culture? Then all the consequences have to right. be concerned. What's this going to do? We can't make it. We can't make a joke about a fat person because that will destroy an entire generation of fat women. We have to think about the right. consequences of our actions. Meanwhile, feel free to give all the drugs to kids that yeah. you want. I mean, it's just it. It is it is absolutely bizarre and. I just I have a hard time understanding it a lot because you do think about how many intelligent people are on this woke left and how they just simply, it's like a willfully uh, designed way to avoid thinking about things. And I just, it boggles my mind how they can, how they can go through life without understanding on some level that they are, uh, are just willfully lying to well, themselves. I always, I always thought that it was a bunch of people who wanted desperately to feel good. And in order to feel good, yeah. they had to avoid any type of thought of things that would feel bad. But then they became mm. obsessed with imagining all the ways that things could possibly feel bad and all of the other people who might <laughs> feel bad. And you go, well, now you've yeah. just got an active imagination. It's, it kind of goes back to um, – and. I, I feel confident talking about this because we get to look at it in hindsight, which is crystal clear. Um, back in 2012, mm. 2013, there were all of those articles about rape jokes and these terrible, awful yeah. comedians that yeah. get on stage and tell jokes about rape. And nobody, not a single person brought up the fact that, well, stand-up comics, they test their jokes in front of lots of audiences. And if a joke works consistently, it gets put down on the record, sometimes an actual LP mm. or CD or a late night set or a special. And then we can actually look at the work that was created. So if comedians mm. have been telling all of these horrendous rape jokes with no consequences for so long, awesome. Then it should be so easy for you to show me some examples. And you know what they right. did? They would go, well, I mean, there's just so many out there. Right. Like what? Well, I mean, I don't want to do your homework for you. No, you're doing it for you. You're going to do the homework to support your own position. But they couldn't come up with yeah. anything. And even worse, no one asked them to. Like nobody confronted yeah, them by saying, where are all these jokes? You, you've, yeah. The only example you have is some hearsay story from a blogger who got that story from their friend who was at the show. And there's no proof mm -hmm. anywhere. Like, what, what is going on here, everybody? It's the way these things snowball, and almost every you know, not just with jokes or, or uh, you know, concepts like rape and how rape consequences could play out in the media. But I just look at the way that they banned straws. Like, I'm going a totally yeah. different direction here, but 
all these straw yep. bans that are happening are based on a nine-year-old's paper <laughs> that was not, it was a science project. It wasn't a scientifically vetted piece of work that went through 18 layers before all the states now are banning straws. Now Kamala Harris wants to have a national straw ban. They go, why are we just accepting this? And it's because the media just, they want it, this narrative. Um, I do, I, I, I don't know what your opinion of the media is right now. And I, I didn't used to think this way before the age of Trump really came upon us, but I now am I'm pretty convinced that almost 99% of the media is, is just so left-leaning that I don't know where to turn for, for real news. And I don't want to turn to Fox either because I think Fox is definitely going conservative. So I really don't know yeah, where to go. Yeah, that's the scariest. scariest you you don't know who is actually doing journalism or who's doing activism. Right. You, you really don't know. Yeah. And, it, and it's that way with science too, though. I mean, look at, I'll use the rapes for statistics for an example. You know, I just read a new study came out and they said that women, you know, one in 16 women in the United States had said that their first experience sexually was uh, rape. Now, I, after reading an article about this study, this is the headlines they're running with. When I read an article about the study, the study itself actually did not ever say rape. It asked women, if their first sexual experience was uh, like a fully consensual right. and half the women had responded that they were coerced verbally mm -hmm. into having sex. So again, not right. forced as traditionally right. think of rape. So it's like the definite, the redefining of these terms and to your, you know, what you're saying about, is it research or is it activism? The lines have become so blurred where the research is activist research, wherein they then create a search or they create a study where it basically whatever they want to prove will be proven. Yeah. And then the media doesn't question it. They just yeah. and run. What it. they want to prove is the maximum amount of victims, <laughs> because if they right. can get the maximum yeah. amount, well, that's going to be good clickbait. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. There's, there's often that idea that um, college campuses that will ask, you know, in questionnaires, like, uh, did you, did you want to have sex? And uh, right. you know what? whether or not you wanted to and whether or not you agreed to are two completely different things. Mm -hmm. And I know that because yeah. I have agreed to pick people up at LAX a thousand times. I have never <laughs> wanted to pick anyone up at LAX. But you know what? They didn't victimize me by asking me and then having me agree. Um, it is not yeah. like there's a level of personal responsibility when I said, okay, I'm an adult, I'm going to make a choice to do this thing that I don't really want to do to make someone else happy. We do that all the time. Well, well you just got married. <laughs> I mean, look, Hey, I, I'm married. Your future is your wife, maybe not wanting to have sex all the time. Uh, but Hey, you know, we're married people now. So is that going to be considered and, rape in uh, five years? What people will say is absolutely. And just just by yeah. saying that yeah. proves that you're a rapist. <laughs> and now I'm yeah. and now I'm yeah, canceled. Yeah. Well, All guys, done. thank you for tuning in this to Electric Liberty. This is the last episode, <laughs> number one forty, whatever it was. So long, one forty two. Well, let's let's get into that a little bit because I was looking at this, and actually, let me play. Um, just I'm excited to okay. use this feature. Uh, I'm going to play a clip, and you'll be okay. able to hear it. I've advanced this technology in the show far enough now. I'm going to play this Adam Carolla clip, and. Uh, and that way you can listen in live to what he said. Cause I didn't even realize there were any comedians on the Alec Baldwin roast. That's on comedy central. I think it was last, it was night, last yeah. night. I'm not sure. Yeah. Was it? Okay. So I'm going to do a quick share here and you'll be able to enjoy this clip and then we'll come okay, back great. and talk about it. Alec, you're a great friend and a great actor. And if I can rant for just one minute here, you're a great sport, you have a great sense of humor, unlike the social justice warriors who are gonna be out there tweeting that all the jokes are problematic. You people can blow me, you pussy fucksticks. This is a goddamn roast. Comedians need a place where they can be offensive without your bullshit fake outrage. You hashtag heroes. You already ruined the Oscars. You're all woke and no joke. So if you were offended by anything said tonight, Please give a reach around to your emotional support dog and shut the fuck up. This 
is our safe space, bitches. Uh, that was pretty much I, it. I couldn't hear it at all, but I, I read the I read the little clip. Uh, uh, I read the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, damn fine. it. Um, what what is the point of having a screen share ability on this shit? God damn it! All right. Well, so it was, at least you're able to read it. Well, I guess the people listening, because I, I God damn it, I did a test before the show too. We'll and fix it, it in post. We'll fix it. Was in post. fine. Exactly. I'll play it. Don't worry. So that, um, that, so, that goes back to our safe space issue that we talked about. That is, yep. you know, on private property, people are allowed to do what they want to do as long as they're not breaking the law. Yep. <clears throat> and if you agree to yep. be there, <laughs> if you agree to take somebody to LAX, <laughs> you know, you you have committed to something, whether you uh, like it or not. I tried. Yeah. Never yeah. Well, it, you know, something he brought up, and I've seen this too, and uh, to reference Chappelle's show again, he also said to the audience, shut yep. the fuck up. Uh, so he said, uh, to basically, anybody that's got a problem, shut the fuck up to social justice versus general. I'm wondering now if this is going to be a common refrain. If this, is this going to be the fighting war cry of the comedian? Um, you know, because, it, it, and and do you think, mm-hmm. follow-up question, number one, will it be the war cry of the comedian, or do you think too many people are woke and, and too cowardly to do it? And number two, do you think that there will be a turning point in all of this anytime in the near future? Um. Well, because I'm kind of an optimist, I, I hope there, I, I think there will be a turning point. I think people will kind of get the idea because there are a lot of voices who are, you know what, now that we've gotten a grasp on this kind of social justice vocabulary that they've started to weaponize, mm-hmm. and now that we can actually use the words back and be like, no, 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 that doesn't mean no. what you want it to mean, just because you want it to mean that. <laughs> um, we're we're going to be able to fight back with words. and. Uh, um, you know, when they use their own language, I, I actually, I want to read something to you because I, I posted this on, uh, on Instagram recently. Uh, it was, it was a stupid little tweet that I wrote, but, uh, I took the, I took the typical language of social justice warriors and, uh, you know, they're always dividing things into two and they're always looking at the mm-hmm. oppressor and the victim. And then they go from there. So I said, you know, the world of comedy only has two groups, comedy consumers and comedy creators. Now, consumers are the majority and creators are the minority. So anytime you as an audience member (laughs) speak out against a comedian, you're punching down from your pedestal of majority (laughs) privilege. And it's completely (laughs) sarcastic. But I mean, that's the fucking logic that you guys are using in this shit. Oh, Tony. Well, did any did anybody respond to you, by the way, angrily saying that uh, that you were off base or did, did people get it? Because I swear to God, as we've seen any joke, no matter how sarcastic you yeah. think you're being, some dumb, woke asshole will take it 100 yeah, percent at face yeah, value. Yeah. Well, um, one one woman started to. And then I, I wrote, <laughs> clearly, you did not read it. <laughs> and she said, I did. Did right. read it. I read it several times, and here were my thoughts. And she starts laying out her thoughts, and then she writes, "Unless you were just being facetious." <laughs> and you know what I did? Didn't respond. I hope. I, I hope you. You should have screenshotted it, sent it back to her, and said, "I'm just going to keep yeah. this for posterity in case yeah, you delete." Yeah, I your want tweets. everybody to know that this existed. <laughs> um, so your second question was, "Do I think it will end?" Which is, I think it will end. I think yeah. it'll. I think it'll die down uh, when the popularity of comedy kind of dies down a little bit. Um, I think once mm-hmm. once the capitalist consumers stop feeling like they are entitled to laugh at every joke from every comedian, I feel like they will ease off. Um, and hopefully yeah. it will breed a brand new set of consumers, a younger generation of consumers who will gladly say, oh, that comedian, yes, they make people laugh a lot, but it's not for me. I prefer this other thing. And you know what? I really mm. wish we had more consumers who could speak positively about standup rather than the endless waves of negativity. Because they they teach that in liberal art schools, that when you look at a painting, you can talk about why it's bad all day long. Any idiot can make up reasons why the Mona Lisa is shit. But you actually have to know about painting in order to talk about what makes it a good painting. And because we have a society that cannot look at a comedian and talk at length about why the comedy is good, even though they don't personally like it, 
until we have that society, comedians are going to continue to get just hounded for everything that comes out of our mouths. And it's going to go in waves just like it has since 1945. But, um, you know, I think, I think that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, what was- well, it's also, I think that the, the compound of people can't say enough, you know, it, it is difficult to, to really break down and, uh, and be complimentary to comedy because people don't understand it. Number one, if it's without, if you haven't done it, it's very hard to, to break it down and say, this is why it works. Sure. This is why, uh, you know, this band's a genius or not. So I agree with you there, but also we, you know, the culture right now is designed to reward the loudest yeah. critics and you can become internet famous by being the loudest critic. You get kudos from your friends and loved ones and whatever else, but yeah. being internet, uh, an internet critic. So, you know, I, I think it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that comedy has to become less popular just because you're going to have less people. Number one, that want to go into it. You're going to have less people that are going into it with the yeah. right intentions, unless people are just going specifically to critique it. And then I also worry, and this is what I was thinking about with Alec Baldwin's roast and these roasts in general. I mean, if you're a comic, why would you want to go on these shows right. necessarily? And, you know, cause you're not gonna be able to do your funniest material without knowing you're going to get some right. sort of backlash and it, and it could ruin your career um, or, or the, the other problem is that the benefit might not even be there. You could go on the roast right. and kill and they go, Oh yeah, that one, that one was funny. Yeah. Yeah. They cut, well, a lot of comics I've heard, they cut their best right. jokes out because they are too um, offensive. Well, and the other thing is the roasts, the, the whole idea of a roast was a bunch of people who know each other coming together yeah. and having a good natured, nice ribbing. And even though it can get mean, it's all about, you know, showing loving disrespect. Now you've got people on mm-hmm. stage with people they've never met before. Yeah, I didn't know Alec Baldwin and Caitlyn Jenner were were close yeah. pals. And, but and by the way, you know, you and then they're excited to say, "I've never even fucking heard of you. I don't know what you're doing here," um, which right. they've been doing since I first saw the Drew Carey roast on Comedy Central. What, eighteen years ago? Oh God, yeah, it's 20, 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it- <laughs> um, twenty years ago, yeah. people are standing at the um, at the podium saying, "Look at these faces on the dais. I've never heard of any of them." And here we are, two decades later. No. And the sad part, <laughs> and I don't want people to misinterpret this. The sad part is not that the comedians and the jokes aren't original. The sad part is that the audience is still eating it up. The audience hasn't mm-hmm. evolved in twenty years. And yet they're complaining yeah. just as much as they always do when comedy's popular, and they still haven't learned anything new. The consumer today is just as much in the dark as the consumer 20 years ago. They think, well, I watch a lot of comedy, so I know what good comedy is. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until you can explain to me why the comedy that you hate is good comedy anyway, you don't know a fucking thing. Um yeah. And what's weird is we, in all the other creative art forms, that's what they're taught in school. They're taught again and again. We don't care if you like the painting or hate the painting. We're going to teach you why it's good. We don't care if you like the poem right. or hate we're, the poem. We're going to teach you why it's good. Like the film, hate the film. Fuck yeah. you. Here's why it's good. And yet there's nobody doing that with stand up. And so all we get is negativity. Or, or comedy in general. That is actually fairly, really interesting to think about. Uh, comedy again, always under underappreciated as an art form, and uh, yeah, well, you're exactly right. You know, there are no one's examining the comedy brushstrokes. Although I do want to talk about, and and we'll wrap it up. So we've been talking for almost an hour, but I do want to talk about uh, your Instagram. And I know you you haven't updated it most yeah. recently, but uh, you have a great Instagram that I I've followed along and really enjoyed, and you were doing for a while called yeah. You Hate yeah, Jokes, yeah. and. It was really fascinating because Ryan would do a, a deep dive on a lot of feedback on, you know, people would get internet angry over different jokes, whether they're offhand jokes or comedians jokes and do an interesting breakdown of why they were wrong, why this joke is, uh, is interesting or not. So tell me a little bit about why you wanted to do that, even though, like I said, don't go, you're not going to see the freshest ones, yeah. but follow it anyway, because yeah. I believe that after this inspirational you know, talk, I, I get, I get inspired now and then when I have free time. So um, I, I had a few ideas when it came to you hate jokes, which was, I was very tired of seeing news stories where mm-hmm. a news reporter would report on a joke and only report the negativity of it and only report, mm-hmm. um, the consequences of it. And no one would give any analysis to 
the joke itself. And uh, it's, mm-hmm. it almost goes back to what was happening with, with rape jokes in 2012, 2013. They would talk about rape jokes by talking endlessly about rape and saying nothing about jokes. And you go, well, that's, that's not yeah. the topic. Just, here's the that's, rape statistics. That is not the topic at all. <laughs> we're, if, if we're going to talk about rape paintings, you have to say something about paintings. If we're going to talk about rape sculptures, you have to say something <laughs> about sculptures. Here we are talking about rape jokes. So fucking talk about jokes, goddammit. And they would not because that is not buzzworthy. So um, we've got all of these clickbait stories in the news. And it is my theory that the reason that it works as clickbait is because people sitting at home want to see, well, do I like the joke or do I not like the joke? Like people want to weigh in because they want to feel like the king of the castle. And then there's Mm -hmm. always some sort of benefit or consequence, which is... um, that whatever happens to the person in the story who told the joke, if that person suffers, the reader at home goes, yeah, I don't like the joke. Fuck them. I'm glad. And then if the person in the joke, if the joke is funny and the person at home goes, well, this isn't fair. They, in their mind, they go, well, this is just proof of the goddamn liberal Mm. left. Or they say, well, this is just proof of the goddamn (laughs) conservative right. And they rationalize all these reasons why society is falling apart rather than talk about the joke. <laughs> and I just want mm. people desperately just talk about the joke, everybody just talk about it a little bit yeah. because then you can nod your head and go horse walks into a bar. Uh, bartender says, why the long face? Oh, okay. I got it. Long face. Mm-hmm. It's a wordplay. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm move on, move on with right. life. Like having a sense of humor is not laughing at everything. And it's not policing what everybody else laughs at. It's actually your ability to fold your arms and look around and go, okay, yeah, if they want to laugh at that, go ahead. Yeah, I get it. I'm not laughing, but they can. (laughs) It's fine. Who cares? We're on this little blue marble for a few years and then we're dead. Yeah, it's fine. Um, But you hate jokes. It's it's a hard thing to keep up with because uh, the way I describe it was I go to my favorite search engine. I type in the word joke. I click news and I click last 24 hours and I look at all the stories that come up and I intentionally ignored stories. I tried to about stand-up comedians. I intentionally wanted this to be amateurs telling jokes, a pizza delivery driver Mm -hmm. who wrote a joke underneath the box lid because they were. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the guy who was an Uber executive that got fired for making a joke. I, I think you covered that one. It was like an offhand joke about a uh, a female executive or something like that that he got yeah. fired for. The um, next day. There are just so many examples out there. I mean, a Netflix person got fired because they were talking about words that they didn't want you to say on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. He said the N word out loud at, in the context of we, we should say not this. say this word. And, and they, they said, you can't say that. <laughs> You're meeting and you can't say it. Um, uh, yeah. Unbelievable. So it's, it's one of those, it's one of those projects that I like doing, but it's also, it, it really kind of wears on me because it is pretty depressing because it is, yeah. uh, it is pretty yeah. endless, but then magically there are days where there's not that much. And that's something mm. that I've been doing this for years, like looking up these stories for years. I didn't always Instagram them, but it was always a little hobby of mine. And the flow of jokes was always pretty consistent and the outrage was consistent. And then it's kind of started to, you know, there'd be little droughts for a few days here and there. And I think it's a little bit because people are tired. <laughs> I think they're yeah. tired of being outraged yeah. a little bit. And I think they're just tired from the administration and they're tired from, you know, uh, all the outrage that's not over jokes. There's just a lot of outrage in general that they just go, look, we have to pick and choose our outrage battles. We have so much outrage to go around. Um, I wanted to ask you a question specifically, and I know we're short on time, but. Well, no, we've got, we get, we've got time. I'm going to, I'm going to do a little 10 minute bonus with you after this too. That's why I want to wrap this up. And then the paint people can hear some extra bonus, but no, ask me. Um, So this question is going to be, and and maybe we do this for the bonus question. Yeah. I'll ask it as a teaser. And if they want to go to the bonus, they can. High level. Yeah. Let's do it. um, Ask away. I have a very specific theory about um, why comedy is not taught in schools and it's not appreciated Mm -hmm. by the consumers and it's directly associated with capitalism. And I wanted to see if you had any thoughts about capitalism and jokes. This is very interesting and a great high level teaser. So (laughs) you guys will just have to find out if you want to join the Lions of Liberty Pride to find out the answer to this question, which I am fascinated 
talk about. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. And Ryan, tell everybody where they can find uh, you where you're going to be. I know you're going to be on, on Fox. I think. Um, I do, up yeah. We, uh, we did up. a little summer session of, of the show called punchline and uh, that's recently ended, but they might be doing uh, reruns. Um, I'm performing around LA pretty soon here. I'm at the improv. I'm at the ice house. I'm going to probably go down to the comedy magic club um, pretty soon here, but uh, I really encourage people to go to Spotify and look up my name or Apple music or whatever service, because I did, um, like a true scientist, I, I tested all those jokes on audiences around the country, around the world, and then I put them down on record for you to hear. So if you want to hear what audiences <laughs> have approved of, please go look up. My first album is Touche. My second album is called How to Be an Audience. And my third album, the most recent, Man in a Suit, Man in the Suit, you, you fucked me up on that. God damn I it. I fucked Nicole. you up on that. I know. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Man in the Suit, uh, they're all available to listen. And go to YouTube forward slash Ryan Stout and watch some clips there. Um, I'm a guy that talks about stand up, and I hope you'll watch my stand up. I would highly recommend that. And again, you can also follow you at Stout Ryan yep. on Twitter. Uh, and I think uh, Instagram, Instagram as well. Instagram right? is at Stout Cider, S I D E R. Oh, like stout like outsider, but with an S T. Yeah. Ah, I yeah, see what you did play. there. We, we don't need to break that yeah, joke down. Yeah, I think yeah. people get it. All right. Well, uh, again, beautiful you, having sir. you on. I will see you in nice. the bonus show. And uh, to all of you out there, go listen to Ryan. Go, go download and buy his albums. I can't recommend it enough. And uh, we will Thanks, definitely buddy. have you back on. So that'll do it for Ryan's appearance on this show. Guys, you can go and find his albums. You can find his website. Uh, you can find links to his previous appearances over at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL142. And also, as I wrap this show up, I want to remind you guys that we now have a, uh, a referral program for the Libertarian Party. So you can go to lp.org forward slash Lions of Liberty. So if you're getting inspired, if you want to be more involved, if you want to be an agent for change within the party, or if you like the way the party's going, you can go and join as you do. And you go and support our show by going to that link. Well, uh, you know, maybe we'll benefit a little bit too. Maybe we get a little piece of that pie. <laughs> so Go ahead, if you're thinking about joining the Libertarian Party, lp.org forward slash Lions of Liberty. Help them, help us, help Liberty. And that way we can all pal around at the Libertarian Convention together. And wouldn't that be fun? And of course, go listen to Mark Claire on Mondays with his interviews with leaders in the Liberty Movement on our flagship Lions of Liberty program, as well as listening in to Felony Fridays every Friday, hosted by John Odermatt, where he interviews uh, with fascinating results, by the way but interviews people who have gone through or are helping those in the criminal justice system, exposing the fallacies, lies, and also uh, sometimes stories that are just absolutely inspiring of people who have found ways to come back out in the free market, make their way, help others, help themselves, and really just come out on top after this whole horrible situation, which of course is influenced by our government. All right, that's going to do it, guys. For me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty.